I want you to turn with me, if you would, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to speak to you on this passage. The glory of salvation. See, if you're saved, that's the greatest thing that ever happened to you. And something to shout about, something to praise the Lord about. But I want you to see it in the light of the day in which it was written. See, today marriage doesn't mean much. Whatever happened to old-fashioned ceremonies, marriages, until death do we part. I still believe that marriage should be a type of salvation, a symbol. But we have to have, understand it in Bible days to appreciate it. But this illustration will show you how God saved you. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, let's read verses 2 and 3. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. For I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled thee through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now let me preface what I want to say with this statement. Knowing who he is, and knowing who you are, and the degree of love that you have for him is what governs your conduct. Now let me say that again. Knowing who he is, and knowing who you are, and the degree of love that you have for him is what governs your conduct. Who are you? You say, well, I'm a sinner. Yeah, but you're a sinner saved by grace. To the Father, you're his son or his daughter. To the Lord, you may be his servant. But to the Son of God, you're his bride. That's the reason I don't want anybody low-rating the church of the living Christ. Oh, folks ought to be careful when they start to slander and, and using the church as a whipping post. Because it's his bride. And I like to feel good sometimes about being saved. Sure, I'm a sinner saved by grace. But hallelujah, I've been espoused to one husband as a chaste virgin unto Christ. But how did I get that way? I want to show you five things. Number one is the decision of the Father. Number two will be the diary of the son. Number three will be the deputy of the families. Number four will be the dedicatory service, ceremony of the couple. And number five will be the day of the wedding. And if you don't know where you're heading, you better read the book of Revelation because you're headed to a wedding. Do you know who you are? You have been espoused. Like I said, that doesn't mean much in this day. But in Bible days, the espousal was like you're getting saved. And I want us to look at it, all right? Paul said, I'm jealous over you. That shows you the desire and the passion of a preacher. Your pastor, for instance. Your pastor has a godly yearning for you to be faithful to the person to whom you're engaged. He yearns for your faithfulness. In fact, when you want to say, preacher, keep your nose in your business, if your business is, is causing you to be unfaithful to him to whom you've been espoused, it becomes the business of your pastor. 
Does his envious of the love that is due the Lord Jesus by his bride. And he doesn't want you to love anybody or anything in this world more than you do the Lord Jesus to whom you've been engaged. And I can say, truthfully, if someone has to ask you to be faithful, there's something wrong with your understanding of who you are. No preacher and no person should ever have to ask you to be faithful if you know who he is and who you are and where you're going. But let's talk about the decision of the father. In Bible days, the son did not choose his bride, the father did. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that Abraham sent Eliezer for a bride for Isaac. What does Ephesians chapter 1 say? That we've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Now, don't get hung up on that. Someone say, well, well, he's picked out to go to hell, Miss Person picked out to go to hell. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm talking about a little old girl who's going to get engaged to the Son of God who's thrilled with being in the Father's mind. That in the mind of the father, he wanted a bride for his son. And thank God back in eternity, it originated in the mind of the heavenly father that he wanted a bride for his son. And it thrills me to know I've been chosen. I don't know how I got chosen. I don't know all about sovereignty. I don't have to know about sovereignty. I just know the Bible said I was chosen and that's good enough for me. Thrills this little old girl to know that the Heavenly Father was desirous for me to be the bride for the Son. He said, which ones are and which ones aren't? I have no idea, so I just preach whosoever will and let them go. Is that right? Hey, I'll leave it all up to him. But it thrills me to know that in the Father's mind I existed. When I go to heaven, I will go because I'm wanted, thank you. I'll go because I'm expected. And I'll go because who he made me in him. The decision of the Father. Second is the diary of the Son. Now, in this day, we don't have to have such a thing, but in those days, the son must have a diary before he can pop the question to any girl. Now, in the diary, the first thing he has to have is enough money to purchase her. See, the son must pay the girl's family for her. Now, you don't have to do that today. Good thing. Some of us didn't have the $2 we paid for the license when we got her. And some of us got a bargain. But the son had to have a diary. And he had to have all the diary that was needed for her to become his before he could ask her to become his.
Why do you think Jesus did everything that was necessary to get the diary ready before he popped the question to you? Has it ever dawned on you in salvation? He doesn't want anything you've got. It's not what you've got he's after. It's what he has in the diary he wants to give you. And the first thing he had was the purchase price. He had to have silver and gold. If he was rich, he never had to worry about it. Because the son always had what belonged to the father. Remember what Eliezer said about Isaac and Abraham? That everything that Abraham had, he'd given unto Isaac? Hey, when you come to the Lord Jesus, you were not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Hey, and he talked about the church. We were purchased. Purchased, paid for. Well, before the son of any family could ask a girl to be his, he had to have the purchase price ready. But not only purchase price, he had to have an inheritance. He had to have a place for her to live, money for her to live on. In fact, he got all kind of gifts for her. And one of the gifts he got on occasions was a wedding dress for her. I think it's interesting that a wedding dress is in the possession of the boy and not the girl. You say, what are you saying? Don't you know that when you get saved, he's the one who dresses you up in righteousness? He makes you what you are, not by what you have, but what he has to give you? Hallelujah, ladies and gentlemen. I did when I got saved. He gave me the robe of righteousness. He's the one dressed me up. He had gifts of rest and peace and joy and eternal life to give to me. He had it already before he popped the question. And like I said, he wasn't after anything you've got. What are you going to give him that he doesn't already have? So the father and the son were the ones responsible for getting the diary together and had nothing to do with the girl. And I say to you, salvation, as far as its provision is concerned, has nothing to do with you. That's between God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you think the cross was all about? The cross is part of the diary. The redemption is part of the diary. The eternal life is part of the diary. And it was all arranged and everything she will ever need to become his is in the possession of the Son. That's the reason why salvation is through what God has done and not by what you do. Boy, he has in his mind a chaste virgin. He's going to make you a chaste virgin unto Christ. Hallelujah. I'm glad I know who he is and who I am and where I'm going. And you're likely to say, well, who do you think you are? 
Listen, I'm nothing within me. But in him, I'm whatever he made me to be. He knew I didn't have anything. That's the reason he got everything together to give it to me. He knew I couldn't be anything. So he had everything to make me what I was supposed to be. He knew I couldn't be righteous, so he provided the righteousness through his death on the cross. He knew I couldn't purchase it, so he purchased me. Hey, folks, do you know who you are and do you know where you're headed? You're headed to a wedding. But you're not his yet. The diary may have everything that's necessary to make you what you are, but you're not what you are because he has it in his diary, but when you experience what's in the diary. But he wants you to experience. Do you think he got all the diary together not to give it to you? He had you in mind. Hallelujah, I love it. Thank God for the diary. I'm glad there's everything in there. I don't have to worry about anything that, that makes me what I am. It's in Christ. Oh, dear sinner friend, if you've never been saved, God's not interested in you coming, turning over a new leaf or trying to provide a wedding garment. He's got a wedding garment for you. He's got a gift for the bride called everlasting life. It's in his diary. You don't even have to worry about where you're going to live. It's part of the inheritance. You don't have to worry about how, how to get there. He'll take care of that. The diary of the son. Now, let's talk about the deputy for the families. Now, ladies and gentlemen, right here is a breakdown between truth and easy believism. Now, whether you believe what I'm about to say or not, it's true. We're facing a day of easy believism in which a lot of folks are bypassing the deputy. In Bible days, they couldn't have, they couldn't handle what we preach today in certain circles, what some folks do. Because they're preaching some kind of easy believism that bypasses the deputy. Like a person saying, well, I'm saved, but I don't know where it happened. That's impossible. You can't bypass the deputy. You say, well, I just believe I'm saved, but I have no idea what happened. You bypass the deputy, you still don't know what salvation is. Hey, the deputy will not let you get passed to the dedicatory ceremony till you pass the negotiation table. I told you, you got to understand in the light of the, the scriptures when they were written. Paul uses this for our understanding, but interpreted in the light of his day. For instance, when it was time to go after the girl that was in the father's mind for his decision, the diary prepared for her, the father's family appointed a deputy. And that was a spokesman for the family. Eliezer said, that everything was given to Isaac, but the also scripture said when Eliezer went after the bride, everything that Isaac had was at his disposal. In other words, Eliezer represented the family to negotiate for the bride. 
Well, in Bible days, they had a deputy for the son's family, and then they had a deputy for the girl's family, and the two of them got together, the two deputies, to discuss the terms. Hmm. So the father's representative, the deputy, was the one who was in charge of the rules and the regulations hmm. and the negotiations. In other words, it was him who told the other deputy what was required for her to become the sons. Hey, are you listening? The first thing they wanted to know about was repentance. Now, you want to know why? Can I ask you a question? Those of you who are married... If you knew, sir, if you knew that when you went to the marriage altar to marry that girl, her attitude was, I'm going to marry you, but I'm going to run around with all the other boys after we get married. Would you marry her? If you would, there's something bad wrong with you. Hey, don't miss it. What do you think repentance is? Change your mind, isn't it? Do you know what the deputy wants to know? Whether or not that girl has changed her mind about all boys and what wants the son. Is anything wrong with that, Brother Eddie? Not a thing. You folks who are married, is anything wrong with that? You ladies, would you marry a man whose attitude was, well, I'm going to marry you, but I'm going to run around with all girls after it's over. Man, you're crazy. If you would. I could, listen, I remember when, when Rachel and I got engaged. I wanted to know when she was giving up that other boy she was interested in. That's right. I asked her to marry me and she's interested in this other boy and I didn't know how interested she was. She said, I got to have some time to think about this. I said, all right. So you know what I did? I negotiated with her. <laughs> I said, you made up your mind yet? Made up your mind yet? Well, see, I wouldn't want her to say yes to me with the idea of keeping him. Well, do you blame me for wanting her to change her mind about that brother boy? Well, heaven's sake, why do you try to do away with repentance when you want people to change their mind about sin and the world and want Jesus Christ more than anybody or anything else in this world? Do you think a deputy is going to let that girl get by with that attitude? No, and the Holy Ghost is not going to save you until you want Jesus Christ more than anybody or anything else in this world. And this is not progressive salvation. I get accused of that and I don't know what they mean by that. This can all go on at one setting down at the altar. All this is attitudes. Man, you can get it to altar. You know God loves you. You know the son died on the cross for you. 
And if you pass the attitude of, yeah, Lord, I want you more than anything else in this world, that's when the deputy has persuaded you that you're in a state of repentance. Mm-hmm. But see, some of us, some of us tried to hang on to some people. And we tried to hang on to some things. And we, we'd cry buckets of tears and somebody would say, well, why didn't God go ahead and save him? Because you can't see the heart of that individual. And the deputy, the deputy won't pass her on to the son until she agrees. See, at the dedicatory ceremony, which is the next step, there's not but one thing going to be done. And I do. I will. Yes. But I got news for you. The deputy is not going to pass her on to the son to say I do until he sees in her what the father's family requires for her to be his. And you know some easy believers and preachers and some people they want to bypass the deputy and say, believe Jesus down on the cross? Yeah, well, just say Jesus, yes to Jesus and you're saved. That's easy believism and it doesn't save the person. And if we don't get back to Holy Ghost conviction, if we don't get hold, back to Holy Ghost negotiation and let the Holy Ghost finish his work in a sinner we're going to have more people in our churches unsaved not because the dedicator is not true and not because the dowry is not true but we've left out the deputy And we say, well, if the Holy Ghost is in it, if they say yes, he had to be in it. Oh, no, he didn't have to be in it either. And that's the reason so many decisions are made that weren't real and weren't lasting and they didn't mean it and they're not looking forward to anything because they're not going anywhere and God never did a work in it or didn't finish the work. Hey, if some of us had let the Holy Ghost finish his work, you wouldn't have to talk them into a decision and they couldn't be talked out of it. Hey, when the deputy gets through with you, you'll be glad to say, I do. You say easy believism, easy believism doesn't work. Yes, it does. Over here at the dedicatory. But while you're still here with the deputy, he's the one who's reproving the world of sin. And of righteousness and of judgment. <laughs> and boy, when the two deputies get together, that's like your conscience defending you, <laughs> taking on your case. But you know, the Holy Ghost lives in a preacher. And you better watch it because Paul said, I have espoused you. That's when the that's when the Holy Ghost through the preacher is meeting with you at the deputy's table. 
showing you you're lost. Yeah. And you're saying, no, no, no. If I say I'm lost, that's terrible. And the deputy says, no, he came to seek and to save you. Yeah. <laughs> Man. The girl says, Man, I ain't got anything. I'm not worth anything. The deputy says, I'm not after what you got, and he doesn't require anything. He's got everything you ever need. And she says, I don't have a wedding dress. I'm poor, destitute, have nothing. And the, de and the deputy says, it's a part of the diary. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful, white, white wedding dress for you. You don't have to worry about that. So it's all arranged for you. She says, I can't be what I'm supposed to be. I'm filthy and I'm, I'm unclean. But he says, yeah, but there's everlasting life over here. And the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away all the sins. And he's already provided through the cross that you can be everything that he requires you to be. And it'll be given to you as a gift if you want him. And do you know what the deputy's after? Just one thing. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. He just wants her to want him at the dedicatory ceremony. Oh, he wants that guest to be genuine and real and mean business. You say it was to me, preacher. Yes, and it is to every person that ever gets saved. When the Holy Spirit of God moves upon a sinner and he shows that person he's lost and when the deputy begins to deal with him, he doesn't leave that person a leg on which to stand. But it's not a negative thing. It's not, look what I'm having to give up. It's, look what I'm getting. It's not, do I have to give up all boys? It's, I'm going to get the sun. You say, but preacher, you're not supposed to be conscious of guilt. Yeah, you get that at the negotiation table too. You're guilty and sinner and you know all those things and you get loaded down. But the Holy Ghost just loads you so that you won't want anybody else but him. Oh, what I'm saying to you, there's a simple attitude, ladies and gentlemen, not a progressive step-by-step. You've got to go through all of this. I'm just telling you that when God the Father thought it and the Son provided it and the Holy Ghost was sent to deal with you, He brings you to the place to where you want Jesus Christ more than anybody or anything else in this world. That's the reason I believe in instantaneous salvation, not progressive. Amen, you said, well, why did it take some of you so long? The deputy wouldn't let us pass. We was too proud, too arrogant, or kept holding on to something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to belong to the sun, but let me take all of what I got with me. Yeah, I won't belong to the sun, but who will it hurt? And will I take some maids with me and some different people? Who, what, what, what am I going to do? The deputy doesn't want but one thing. He's after a bride for the sun. And I want to say this to you, some of you lay folks. Some of you lay folks 
better not push them past the deputy into an easy believism trying to get them to say yes just because they got to believe in the diary. Am I doing all right? Do y'all know what I'm saying? I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying you have to work this out and have to know this and all those kind of things. I'm saying it's an attitude in which the Holy Ghost reproves you of your sins and works repentance, change of mind about everybody and everything to where you want Jesus Christ more than anything or anybody. And when that happens, you can believe. Because there'll come a life change. But I want to say it again. We're living in a day when they're saying Jesus died on the cross. You believe that? Yes. Well, say yes to Jesus, and that's all there is. And they've left out the deputy, and they've left out reproval, and they've left out the Holy Ghost repentance, and they've left out the change that's going to take place. And you can't do that in real salvation. And I don't mean that negative. I mean that positive. Somebody could have said to me, why didn't you get saved before you did? those negotiations were tough folks I wasn't working at it I just had a hard time getting to that place holding on to this and trying to have this and, and found out I had to let go of everything and have nothing because he had everything everything I needed was in the diary Amen. And you know what my trouble was? I was trying to get saved from the negotiation table, not the dedicatory ceremony. Yes, Holy Ghost. Yeah, yeah. Agree with him, this, that, or other. Yeah, I believe in the diary. Hey, the diary was true, and I believed in the diary. Someone said, didn't you believe in the diary? Sure, I believed in the diary. But oh, hallelujah. Attitude. Attitude. When you want Jesus Christ more than anybody or anything, then it turns gospel, gospel, good news, good news, good news. He died for you. Now salvation is by grace through faith. This is where faith comes in. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to work it out. He works on you. And he works it in you. And he works that attitude. Oh, but then you go to the dedicatory ceremony. Now, you know what the dedicatory ceremony is? That's when the son and the girl get together with both families. <laughs> That's the reason salvation's in the son, folks. It's in him. The Holy Ghost produces it, but life is in the son. And he just wants to know one thing, will you? What do you think she's going to say by the time she gets this far? <laughs> no, don't believe it, Will. No, she, she doesn't pass the deputy, and she's ready to say yes. Just, just show me how to say yes. Just point me in the right direction. Yes, I do, I do. Man, she's walked in there with a I do on my lips. And when he says, will you, I'm, I'm going to say, yep, yes, I do. Yes, I will right now. Thank you. And that's when it's over. Just like that. That's how that, will you? Yep, do. It's over. Thank you. That's like that. I'm in tune. (laughs) 
You remember when you got saved? Finally got down to it. And you said, well, that was so easy. I didn't have to go through all that. Yeah, you had to go through everything to get you where you were. Mm-hmm. I don't know what person I have to go through. I like it when they get saved all one service. Don't you like it when the Holy Ghost falls on somebody and they find out they're lost and get saved in the same service and don't, don't go for any length of time? Well, I do too. I like it like that. That's the easiest guy. But what are you going to do with those who sit at the negotiation table for a while? The best thing you can do is realize that we are on the deputy of the Father's side. We're on his team, and we're part of his court, and we need to stay with them and work with them until they can meet the Savior. Oh, but now listen to me. <laughs> when she says yes, he doesn't give her a wedding ring. He gives her an engagement ring. Espousal, betrothal. At that point, at that point, he gives her the earnest of the inheritance. Remember Ephesians 1, where he talked about the earnest of the inheritance? The modern day Greek word for earnest is engagement ring. He gives her the first part of the inheritance. But the engagement ring is a promise and a pledge from him of other days and other events and of the wedding. Now, you say, well, preacher, what happens after that? What, what happens when she gets the engagement ring? Did, did they go off together? Oh, no. She goes back to her house, and he goes back to his. Now, it's usually a year that passes by, and when he goes back, he's going back for one reason, to prepare a place for her. What do you think John chapter 14 is about? In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you that I may receive you unto myself that wherever I am there you may be also. Now I'm going to say something here that probably some of you won't agree with. But if it's all right... I'll disagree without being disagreeable, okay? That's that word mansions. Folks are talking about him building you some kind of mansion with big columns on a golden street. And you missed what he said. This is in the light of the marriage. He said in my father's house. Now the Greek word translated there is translated a little bit later in that same chapter for abode. When he said, my father, if you love me, my father may come up and take up our abode with you. Now, do you know what he was saying by those mansions, Brother Eddie? He wasn't even talking about mansions. He said, in my father's house, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That you can live with me in the father's house. Now, if you won't live in a mansion, you help yourself. But I'm going to live with the bridegroom up in the house. If you want to live stuck off by yourself out there, help yourself. But since Rachel's died, I still live in the pastorum. Four bedroom, living room, kitchen, dining room, and great big den. And I'll tell you one thing. If I could have her back, you could have that house. <clears throat> Just like that. I don't care anything about living by myself, thank you. So don't stick me off in some old mansion out there on the hillside. 
Don't build me a mansion on the hillside. Give me a room in the Father's house with the bridegroom. You know what they'll do? They'll sing about a mansion over the hilltop and forget what Jesus said. That where I am, there you may be also. What makes heaven heaven is the presence of the Lord. Now, if you want to believe it's a mansion, that's all right. I won't argue with you. I won't, I won't fuss with you. Just don't build me a cabin over in the glory, glory land. Don't stick me off down there somewhere without the bridegroom. He's speaking of love language. He's speaking in the light of the marriage. What he's saying to you is this. When you get to heaven, what will make heaven heaven is your union with Jesus Christ and your fellowship with him. And he's coming back to receive you unto himself that where you, where he is, there you may be also. And he's preparing it. And when he gets it ready, he's coming back after that bride. Oh, but listen. There's another half of that. And that's the girl. She's sent back to her house for preparation. What do you think Ephesians meant when he said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might present it unto himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he might wash it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. They believed that the girl's skin should look like marble. So they put her through baths every day. Washed her every day. That's how she stayed clean. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Washing of the water by the word. That he may present you a chaste virgin. If you're saved, you've been espoused to one husband as a chaste virgin. And chaste means pure and clean. You say, well, how am I going to stay that way? Bass. <laughs> Woo! Every time you get a spot on you, you're going to take a bath. That's reading you. Hey, if you save your chaste virgin heading to a wedding and you can't get out and become unspotted and get away with it. That's the reason if a person says he's saved and lives in sin and practices sin, he doesn't even know what salvation is because he's a chaste virgin to the Lord. And he may present you a chaste virgin. It's not that you don't get dirty, but when you do, you head into the tub. Not for salvation, but because you are saved. Amen. And he's got some soap to clean you up with, and he's got a wire brush if necessary. He's going to scrub you. Hallelujah. I'm glad he scrubbed me. I'm the bride. I'm in preparation that he may present it to himself a glorious church, Brother Eddie, without spot and without recall. And that's the reason why the bride is under the care of the deputy now of the Father's house. <laughs> Woo! It's the responsibility of the girl's house to carry out the order of the father's house because of whom she belongs to. Woo! Getting washed. You say, well, boy, if I get washed and scrubbed, I'm going to hurt. Well, the second thing they did to her, they perfumed her. I love that. Hallelujah. They had fragrances. I mean, they had all kind of 
sweet-smelling perfumes in which after they washed her and after they scrubbed her, they anointed her real good and they rubbed her body to where it, be sure it wasn't, you know, flaky and dry and they'd take away the red spots and every day. Like I said, they wanted it white and like luster, like marble. And so every day, they're washing her and they're cleaning her up. And, and then after they wash her and clean her up, they perfume her real good and dollar up. Now, the reason they dollar up because they don't know when the bridegroom's coming. <laughs> they don't know. She doesn't know when it comes day or night. She just knows it's coming. They, somebody can tell her. He's not coming, she said. Yes, he is. Oh, they say, where's the promise of his coming? Because all things continue as they were. And she took out her engagement ring and said, look at this. This is proof that he's coming. He promised me he'd come. That's the reason why I know the Holy Ghost lives in me. And he's coming back out to me because I got the engagement ring inside of me. You want to see it? Amen. You can't talk the bride out of whether or not she belongs to him. You can't talk her out of whether or not he's coming. And you can't talk her out of being faithful because she knows who she is and where she's headed. And she wants to look her best for him. I said, if you know who you are, you want to look your best, slim and trim, and everything he has will be mine. He's my lover, and I'm his bride, and I'm headed to a wedding. Now let's talk about the last thing, the day of the wedding. Now, the decision, remember the first point, the decision of the Father. The decision of the time to go after the bride is not the choice of the son, of the, but of the father. The father is the one who decides when the son yeah. goes. Amen. That's what Jesus meant when he said, No man knoweth the hour, not the angels, nor the son. He wasn't telling you, I'm ignorant and don't know. He was using the marriage relationship for our understanding. He was saying, we're going to keep the custom. And the custom is that the Father knows the time. And when the Father gives me command to go after her, I'll go after her. So that one of these days, thank God, the Father will turn over to the Lord Jesus and say, It's time to go after her. Now when it's time to go after her, they gather all of the household together. They only leave enough watchmen at the house and servants at the house. And Jesus used that in an illustration. For when he comes, the bridegroom comes and they open do the door immediately. Oh, he leaves some servants there. But the rest of his servants, just about all of his court, lines the street to the girl's house. If he is rich, if he is rich, he is decked out with the finest of the father's house. He wears a golden crown with diadems. And if you've read the book of Revelation, when he comes riding that white horse, he has a crown upon his head. That means he's rich. We know he's rich. He has a multicolored band around and girdle around his waist. He's decked out in white. He has beautiful gold and sandals and carved sandals. I mean, he is royalty. 
And when you see him coming, he has one thing on his mind. I'm going after the one that is mine. And you think the girl's excited. The Heavenly Father and the Son planned this before eternity. I mean, back in eternity. Before there ever was time. And they've waited on the time when the Father says, go after her. And when Jesus comes back, he's going, coming back with all the splendor and the glory of his kingdom. Because when they line the street, all his servants are there. And when the son and the father are making their way, but the son especially is making his way upon his white horse. Man, his servants are praising. There is much glory, there is much splendor, there is much radiance, and there is much excitement. The son goes to the girl's house and the girl is taken. And then they return. And by the way, she's decked out too. Boy, she's decked out. That's what the book of Revelation says that the wife has made herself ready. <laughs> made herself ready. And she's decked out in fine linen, clean and white. And I mean, she's going to look her best for him. And she's been prepared for him. And he takes her and the two of them make their way back to the father's house. But on the way back to the father's house, they stop every little while so that the servants can have a spell. That's right. They stop every little while and make them make much ado over the son and his bride. Then they make a little bit farther and then they stop again. And boy, the pleasure that beams in the eyes of the son or oh, the glory that shines in the eyes of the girl. The long-awaited hour has come. Oh, and now it's, she's on her way. And finally they come back to the Father's house. And when they get back to the Father's house, the festivities really begin. There is shouting and rejoicing. And before they ever sit down to the meal, much ado is made over the bride. Now this just blows me away until I understood why they did it. They don't make much ado over the son when they get back. He just left from there. They don't make much ado over the father. They make much ado over the bride. Because you know, Ephesians 1 says we've been accepted in the beloved. When I, when I, when I married Rachel and, and brought her back off our honeymoon, I was stopped by my mother and dad's. And uh, I was the only son of my mother and dad. And they loved me. And when I brought Rachel in, they knew her, but they didn't know her. And when we walked through the door, my mother looked at me, and then she looked at Rachel. Then she looked back at me and went over and hugged Rachel. Made me feel real good. And they said, Rachel, our house is your house. Said, we haven't lost a son. We just gained a daughter. And said, as long as we got food, you got food. As long as we got clothes, you got clothes. Said, everything we've got is yours. They made much ado over her and made me feel real good. Amen. I, I tell you what. And that's the reason why when we get to glory, God's going to let the, the court make much ado over the bride. Because it glorifies the son. You may not be treated as royalty here. And much ado may not make the headlines 
And there may not be much a thrill when you get saved, but wait till he comes back in all of his glory and all of his splendor. And wait till you get home. I mean, they're going to have a spell in glory. And it's going to make the son feel good and the father feel good because the father said, that's the one I chose right there. That's my bride, the son will say. And it'll make both of them feel good when they make much ado over the bride. We'll make much ado over the son and we'll make much ado over the father, but heaven's court's going to make much ado over the bride so that the father and the son will be glorified. Well, after they get back, after they get back, festivities are going on, the meal's prepared, everything is set in order. But there's a canopy over or a, or a secret room where the bridegroom and the bride are escorted for the ceremony. And it's there that the wedding takes place. And boy, festivities break again. But then they take the girl and the boy and slip them off to that place that's been prepared by him. Well, I don't know if that's New Jerusalem or not, but I sure like the idea of it, don't you? I, I don't know. It's, it's just that place that he's got prepared, and it's that love language that said there's a place ready for you. Yes. See, the bride's been expected, and there's a longing and a yearning for that bride to get home. Amen. And there's going to be a relationship with Jesus in eternity that will defy any understanding that we've got right now. And Ephesians says, in the ages to come, he'll show you the exceeding riches. That means in eternity, he's just going to keep showing his bride how good he can be and keep giving her, giving to her, and giving to her, and giving to her, and giving to her. You say, you understand that? I don't have to understand it. I just like it. Now you take salvation in this light. Take salvation in the light of the day in which it was written. Oh, there's nothing more precious to a person once he gets saved than to know he was chosen. Listen, the, the truth of choosing was not written to sinners. It was written to saints. Boy, you're doing injustice if you try to deal with sinners about choosing and, and being elected. You don't deal with sinners about that. It's not precious to them. They'll think God made this and go to heaven, this and go to hell, and you'll blow them out of the water. Leave that alone. That's written to a choice chosen virgin who needs an understanding. She's special in the eyes of the Father. No. I need that. Because the world says you're nothing. I like the Heavenly Father to say, I picked her out for my son. And I leave all that up to him. I take sinners and I say, whosoever will, let him come. Christ died for all, come. That's all I know how to preach. That's the only gospel I know because it's for all sinners. But I sure do like it when I read that I was chosen. I love it when I realize that he prepared all the diary and everything that made me what I am is what he provided for me, not what I gave for myself. It thrills me to know that the Holy Ghost one day showed me I was lost. 
And when I found out that I had nothing to give him, it wasn't anything he wanted but me. And I found that he had everything I needed to become what he required. I never appreciated the cross so much in my life as when the Holy Ghost showed me that if he saved me, it'd be totally by grace and an undeserved mercy and all because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. What a diary, what a diary, what a diary, what a diary. But oh, hallelujah for the deputy that brought it to me and showed it to me. And oh, thank God for the moment when I said, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. And it's not just the words that you say a yes or I die do. It's an attitude, a heart of trust and belief and faith. But oh, when that happens, he gives you the Holy Ghost and he becomes your engagement ring and the promise of other days and events. And you don't have to worry about your inheritance. He's already got that in the dial. But one of these days there'll come a trumpet sound because the father will look over to the son and say, son, go get her. All things are ready. And my Bible tells tells me he's coming back in power and glory. That means the angels and the cherubims and the seraphims will line the airways while those who have died in Christ come with him, and those of us who are saved down here will be caught up to meet him. And hallelujah forever shall we be with the Lord. He's got better days ahead for his pride. Hallelujah. For old-fashioned salvation, knowing who he is and who I am, And the degree of love I have for him governs my conduct. I want to be presented unto him a chaste virgin.